Well, hey, good morning, Cap City Church. It is so great to be with you in the house of the Lord today. Hey, if you're watching online, we want to let you know that we're so glad that you tuned in. Um, but we, we, we need you to know that things are better when you're here with us. If you were watching last week, you, you saw that we had a great service, but you missed out on some delicious cupcakes after the service. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you want to come out for. Um, but we're going to have another great week this week. I have just a couple, couple things I want to share with you because we've got our announcement video that will be on here uh, in just a little bit later in the service. And during that uh, announcement video, we'll, we'll make reference to the connection card. But I personally want to emphasize the connection card um, because some of you might say, I've been going to church here forever or, um, you know, you don't need my information, that kind of thing. But I'm the new guy, okay? Like, I'm the new guy and I understand what it's like to get to know everybody. So if this is your first time here or if you've never taken an opportunity to fill one of these out, we want one of these so that we can send you spam mail. Does that make sense, right? Okay. Now, just, we, we want this because whatever it is, whatever reason that you came here today, it probably had something to do with Jesus. It had something to do with the church. It had something to do with maybe finding answers. And whatever it is, we believe that if you give us your information, we can help you with that next step. And that's our goal if you share that with us. So consider doing that today. If you grabbed a bulletin, you uh, would see in the bulletin um, that we referenced uh, some new staff members joining us today. And uh, because she's a good friend, I won't make her come up on stage because then we might not be such good friends anymore. But Amber's sitting right over here. Amber, just wave for me at least. Amber's uh, sitting over there. Give her a hand. You know, we never mind saying better half, but if you did it the other way and said Colton's her lesser half, that seems kind of derogatory, doesn't it? Um, but I could get away with that. Colton's a good friend. Amber and Colton are married. They are uh, expecting their first uh, next month, as you would see there in the bulletin. But Amber's going to be working in the administrative office with us, helping Deb with a lot of the things that she does. And then Colton's going to be helping us as we streamline our discipleship process and he doesn't do too bad at this, so he's going to help out at this a little once in a while, too, if that's okay. Um, so I'm going to let him in. <laughs> yeah. But just a little bit of a stripped-down set this morning. If you are new with us, a lot of times we have a full band up here, and we've got a lot going on. But if you will, just kind of bear with us. I don't think this is going to be a less-than type of worship service, because that has a whole lot to do with the spirit you bring in with you anyhow, right? Um, but I can't tell you how wonderful it is in the first couple of weeks of a pastor's tenure at a church uh, for us just to keep things simple. And I think God's okay with simple sometimes. So um, whatever worship looks like for you this morning, if you're lifting your hands, if you need to come and pray, uh, just sing out with us. Give glory to God who is worthy of our praise. With that being said, let's go ahead and get up on our feet and uh, let's join Colton and Josh in worship today. search the world but it couldn't fill me and man's empty praise and treasures of fate are never enough and then you came along and put me back together is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing 
Lost without hope and no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began And Ash was redeemed, only beauty
This is going to sound really terrible, but like I'm very thrown off. You guys really love to worship. <laughs> it's uh, very refreshing. You know, I, I know and I want to acknowledge that we're all coming from different walks this week. For some, it's been a really great week. For some, maybe a not so great week. But no matter where we have come from, whether we're coming this morning with praise in our hearts or sorrow, we still serve a great God who is capable of taking any circumstance and making it for his good and his glory. So this next song, it's just a prayer. I, I, I hope it will be your prayer this morning that in every aspect of our lives, we would just build it around God and his promises and his purposes. We can't go wrong with that. So let's just sing this this morning. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever save and worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you
spoken word you're singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took There's no wall you won't kick 
town Lying won't tear down Coming after me There's no shadow you won't light up Mountain you won't climb up Coming after me There's no Welcome to Capital City Church. We are so glad you are joining us for service today. Please share your updates, praises, and prayer requests on the connection card in your bulletin and drop it in the offering today. First time visitors, please let us get to know you through the connection card. Then take it to the visitor welcome desk in the lobby at the end of service and you'll receive our keepsake gift of your first Sunday here. 
Upcoming growth track sessions will happen Sunday, June 19th and Sunday, June 26th. Current growth track participants, please check your email this coming week for details. If you want to grow your walk with Christ and have not joined growth track yet, please sign up at the sanctuary desk for more information. Ladies, are you ready to grow in Christ this summer? Join us in the Purpose Driven Life for Ladies, beginning the last week of June. Great Bible study, personal interaction, and summer fun are included. Please visit the Sanctuary Information Desk to register and to pick up more info about this upcoming ladies' small group experience. June means it's Mount of Praise and West Central District Camp Meeting time. We look forward to this season of drawing close to God and invite everyone to be part of the special services, kids included. Please check your bulletin for details. Thank you for supporting the ministries of Cap City Church. You can give online or by check or cash. Please see the back of your bulletin for more details. Please welcome Pastor Jonathan Barker with today's message. Hey, do you guys like Colton? Is he all right? All right. Okay, yeah. He's uh, not to put any pressure on him, but he's better on a keyboard. So maybe, you know, maybe in the future you'll, you'll get to see that too. Um, so last, we started a new series last week because it was the first week I preached. Um, I, didn't, I didn't figure I'd pick up from a couple months ago when I was here, but we started a new series entitled From Here to There. And we talked about how that wherever you are, in this very moment, you are here, right? And wherever you go, you are here. Wherever you are, your location is here. And there's always a there. There's always somewhere that we're headed. And, and last week, we talked about the idea of, of moving out, of what it meant for them to, to leave Egypt, to pack their bags, to book that trip. And this week, we're going to be in the desert. Um, you see, I've got my jar of sand to represent the desert this week. Um, I was going to put it all over the stage, and I thought Pastor Ed wouldn't probably appreciate that too much. Um, so I just thought I'd give us a representation. We're going to talk a little bit more about that jar here in just a second. But I'll be in Exodus 13, 17 uh, for a text. You'll be able to, it's, it's a real big one this week. You'll see if you can keep with me. But this week we've entitled the, the sermon, The Scenic Route. And you'll see that I like to ask you questions. I like for you to participate. Um, this week's question, you get to pick one of two. We're going to give you a chance here to raise your hand, let me know who you are. are. Are you someone who gets in the car and says, we got to get there? Or are you somebody that says, I like to take the scenic route? I got to get there. I, I got to get there. Time to get there. Who likes to take the scenic route? All right. Okay. It's about a split. I, I don't, I, you know, I told you I'm keeping track of all of this to judge you later on. But it seemed like the people that like to stay at home like to take the scenic routes. Maybe that's their form of vacation. That's what it is. They don't like going on vacation. They just like taking the back roads and hanging out and that kind of thing. So, um, but right, we, a lot of us know this story and we wouldn't consider a 40 year journey through the desert, the scenic route. It was definitely the long way around, but I don't know if we would call it the scenic route. They might have had a little different thought process towards that. But we're going to talk a little bit today about how our perspective changes the desert to be the scenic route, right? God was doing a lot of great things. There was a lot of things to be seen along that journey. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 says, God did not lead them 
on the road through the, the Philistine country, though that was shorter. God, I wish you'd just do whatever you're going to do right now. I, I, I know it shouldn't take this long. Though it was shorter, for, or, or, but God said the people might change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. If they face war, they might change their minds and want to go back to Egypt. So anytime you get into studying a text like this, you have all kinds of different commentaries and different um, ideas, but, but generally speaking, I, I tend to fall on those who say that it would have taken them on a straight line about 11 days to get from Egypt to Jericho, right? We're going to talk about Jericho next week, but about 11 days. That doesn't feel like a, like a detour. That doesn't feel like the scenic route. We're talking about the trip being extended times 120, from 11 days to 40 years. Some of us are irritated by the pace of God's movement. We all have been at one point or another. But rather, we should be understanding and we should be adjusting to the flow of his spirit. Why, why does God lead us the long way around? We're going to see a lot of parallels between us and the and the Israelites uh, on that journey and in Exodus 13. But why does God lead us the long way around? The first idea that I'd like to present this morning is to expose our fear, or fears plural. Most of us are afraid of something, and probably more, more of us than not are afraid of multiple things. Can I, can I just hear, can somebody just yell them out? What are you afraid of? Snakes. Snakes. Snakes, spiders. What? <laughs> hey, we're going to talk about healthy versus unhealthy fears, Randy. That's the, uh, the fear of your wife might be in the healthy category, right? You, you, ever, you ever hear somebody say they're afraid of something and you just think, well, that's kind of strange. Or why are they afraid of that? But then you're afraid of something and they might think that's a little bit, a little bit strange, right? But like, I've learned that people that are afraid of spiders, there's some spiders that are acceptable based on size or color or, or where they are, if they can see them. You know, we just relocated to a house in the country where we very much weren't in the country. And, you know, we just, we didn't know we were moving in with population 5,000 daddy long legs, right? Like, they're everywhere. So we, we got to get used to them, right? Sometimes we have to live among things that we're afraid of. Sometimes we have to live among things that we're afraid of. But, but there's, some, you know, there's some studies done on what causes fear. I don't know if you're aware of this, but they tell us that we're born with two basic fears. And that's the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And if you think back before we had things like Wi-Fi and zombies and clowns and uh, whatever it is on TV that could scare you these days... Before all that happened, when the earth was as God intended it to be, the things that existed that could hurt you were places you could fall, right? Gravity hurt. Um, and things that made a lot of noise, right? Lions and tigers and bears. Thank you. Um, so loud noises and, and falling are, are very legitimate fears. And so I, I, like, just to throw one out there for you, I don't know if I'm afraid of roller coasters. I'm not excited about being on one of them. Um, some of you are, but... You know, when I think about that, and I, and I understand that we're naturally supposed to be afraid of falling, to me, I, I think that a fear of being on roller coasters is very legitimate and healthy. 
some, some of you are afraid of illogical things. To me, anything that I can step on with my shoe and kill, I, that's not something I should be afraid of. Something with a red nose, be it a clown or a reindeer, is not anything to be afraid of. Which brings me to the point that much of what we think we're afraid of today is an illusion. The enemy wants you to be afraid. We, we have convinced ourselves, nobody yelled it out, but, but a big one that you're afraid of today is change. In so many different areas of your life, right? I don't know about you, but it seems like the more you age, like you don't want any more change in your body, right? Like in that knee or that hip or that back, you're done with that changing or, you know, deteriorating, whatever the word is that we want to use. But we, we're afraid of change. Even as the Israelites stood before the Red Sea, we talked about this last week, they said we, they would have been better off remaining in slavery than to die in the desert. By the way, I want you to know in my notes how many times I misspelled desert and wrote the word desert. So if I say that today, forgive me. They were afraid because they had not yet seen what God was capable of once they moved away from where they had been. You cannot see what God is capable of there if you're going to remain here. There's certain things he can't do till you get there, so you have to move away from here. What he wants to do in your life, how he wants to do it, can't happen in the here, so you have to be willing to move into the there. God does some, I would even argue, maybe all of his greatest work when our understanding of the outcome is non-existent. Let me just level with you. Did, I, I didn't say this, but did you know me and Colton both started out with, with three CU license and never thought we would be back in a three CU church? We didn't have a problem with y'all. <laughs> we liked you. Just things changed and moved around in life. But the unexpected and how God wants to work and what he's doing in different moments and seasons of our life, the more we try to figure out God, the more I think he wants to reconfigure things. Nothing, though, can cripple us like operating out of a spirit of fear rather than faith and courage. God leads us the long way around to expose what we're afraid of. And he can't do that work that he wants to do in you until that fear is exposed. A second way that that he was working on the Israelites and he works on us as we go the long way around, he does that to express his authority. God leads us the long way around to express our his authority. <laughs> Maybe reveal our sense of authority and express his a struggle with authority. L- let me just if if I may kindly, you're going to get to know me. I'm going to get in your business about your politics. I'm going to get in your business about your money. I'm going to get in your business about how much screen time you have. I'm just going to be in your business a lot. (sighs) I, I have known people my whole life that were never happy with who the president was, whether it was a Republican or a Democrat or an independent, or no matter what, they might have voted for him, they might have put a sign up, but by the end of the four years, they wanted change, or they said they wanted something, then they got it, and they didn't want it anymore. And let me tell you, if you come to, I'm trying to help you here. I want you to get, I want you to score points with the pastor today. I really do. But if you come to your pastor to tell me what you're against, 
if it's someone or something that's in a position of authority, you think you might be talking to me about the object, but you're going to be telling me more about the subject. Someone who's always against the hierarchy, always against the next level, always against the one that is sending down orders. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves so filled up with pride or a need to be in control. Maybe not even filled up with it. Maybe just have a, we're just possessing a little bit of it. But a struggle with authority always stems from pride and the need to be in control. I, I, I mentioned a trip I took to Boston last week. I, last week, I mentioned a trip I took to Boston a few weeks ago. I wasn't in Boston last week. Um, but, but one of the students that I'm in class with, man, he just, he talked about control a little bit. And it was just such a great, I actually had already started this sermon and I had written this whole point out. And after I heard him say this, I, I cut a bunch of stuff out and put this in there instead. It, it was just so good. We were talking about, as we came to this place, this class, what we brought with us and what our struggles were. And he talked about the fact that he didn't like flying. Now, I like to fly. I, I, again, right, I, I don't like the roller coasters. I like to fly. You know, I'm, I'm a complicated individual, I suppose. Just ask Allison. Um, but he said, I don't, he said, I don't like flying because when I'm on a plane, I don't even have the illusion that I'm in control. I love that he phrased it this way because what he was stating to us when he said, when I'm on a plane, I don't even have the illusion that I'm in control, he was saying that he recognized he knows that he's never in control. But how many of us live our lives where we'd rather just say, just let me think I'm in control. Just, right, like, does everybody know, if you don't, I'll help you out here, it is phenomenally much more safer to fly than it is to drive. I mean, incredibly more safe to fly than it is to drive. I almost said fly to die, and maybe that would have been a, a good slip there. But it's so much safer to fly than drive. And the reason you still struggle with it, not all of you, I'm not putting you all in one, you know, you're okay with driving because you're the one at the wheel. And you're the most qualified person you know. <laughs> Which I'm sure is true. I wonder where in our lives, though, we are possessing the illusion of control, where we're holding so tightly to that. He's got it all. Every last bit of it. Every last bit of it. But we like to hang on to these ideas. And I wonder how many times God is waiting to move in our life until we turn over control of everything. Everything. In my experience, every person, every relationship, every church almost always have an area or areas that they have failed to surrender, and they've done it with a great justification about everything else in their life they have given up. They'll tell you their struggle on the back end of telling you all the things that they have done well. Well, I do deal with this, but I've given up this and this and this and this. It's like, who are you trying to prove it to? Who are you trying to justify it to? I don't care. You get, I mean, I care about you. I'm not saying I'm apathetic. I'm not being flippant. I'm saying, 
But it doesn't matter to me because I don't know what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. I don't know why you're still holding on to it. I don't know why you want to keep confessing this sin to me. Yeah, I do. Because you want so badly to let it go. You want so badly to overcome it. I have found that the thing that we struggle to give up the least is the very thing. Or excuse me, the thing that we struggle to give up the most is the very thing that God wants the most. The thing we're least willing to give up. You say, God, you can have everything, but the reality of it is there's still a, as long as it's not this. As long as it's not that. As long as it's not whatever that thing is. And and folks, I'm here to tell you today, and you'll hear this in my preaching, it might not be a sin to anybody else. The Holy Spirit needs to know there's a spirit of surrender. It's not about how moral or ethical the idea is. It doesn't have to do with who knows about it or how much trouble you might get in for uh, concealing it or revealing it. It has to do with how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because he needs complete authority in your life. I hope you're already thinking towards Jericho. If you're not, you are now because I just took you there. We won't preach Jericho till next week. But think about how they won. Those of you who are Christians and know the story. And think about how that wouldn't have worked out with people who were full of fear. With people who were going to question orders. It wouldn't have worked out too well. And it wouldn't have worked out if those who had been involved were immature spiritually. That's the third thought this morning. He takes us the long way around to encourage our maturity, which is perhaps a result of the first two points on courage and submission. One of the the greatest mistakes that I've seen surrounding maturity in the church is is that we relate it too much to time. We, We relate it too much to time. When if you think about it, maturity actually is relative to time in the sense that we talk about somebody acting their age. If we're around a 10 or 11 year old and we see them understanding concepts like a 15 or 16 years old, or a 15 or 16 year old, we say that they're mature for their age, right? So we take time or age, we relate it to how we see a person behaving and we label them as mature or immature. But, but in the church, we need to understand that the number of years that we have spent in church does not represent our level of spiritual maturity, Paul expressed this, didn't he? He said, some of you should be teaching. Some of you should be preaching. I believe he's still calling preachers, by the way. I'm not the only one. We need a lot of them, right? You had to settle for me because there weren't enough to pick from. We need more preachers. We need more teachers. You don't have to look like me or Pastor David or Pastor... uh, it, It doesn't matter. If God's calling you to do it, he said some of you should be teaching and preaching and leading others to Christ and serving in children's church and helping out with hospitality and coming to the prayer team on Tuesday, but instead we're still babysitting you. He actually said something relative to that idea of how a woman feeds a child. That's how we still have to treat you. We're still babysitting you. The maturity of a church member could easily be determined by how they view a Sunday morning service. We actually use the word service. Every longtime Christian knows that we are supposed to say that we come to church to serve the Lord and to serve others. We know the right answers. 
but we still spend so much of our time talking about how the church and the staff and the building or the services don't meet our needs. Can you imagine what would happen if this church or any other made their utmost concern the next person walking through that door? Man, what if every Sunday when you came to church, you go, I hope there's somebody new there that I've never seen before. And if I see them, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to make sure, because I'll drill you on this in a little bit. I assure you, if there's a visitor that shows up here and hangs out for six or seven weeks, I'm not going to be happy if you don't know their name. They need to know we love them. People don't come to friendly church. They come to a church to make friends. You get that? I don't need you to be friendly. I need you to make friends. They've already tried everything else, church. They've already been to the bar. They've already been to the clubs. They've already tried the different things. And, and they come here hoping to find belonging, not just somebody that will smile and wave and say, we're glad you're here. They want somebody to go to coffee with. They want somebody to serve with. They want somebody that they can hang out with. Amen. But as we get back to that desert feeling that many of us experience in our Christian walk, sometimes one of the key indicators of immaturity is believing that you are ready for a task when God knows that you are not. And perhaps he has even revealed this to you. I'll tell you what's happened in our, in our society of instant gratification. Instant gratification is one of the greatest enemies of the Christian faith. It really is. Because everybody feels like everything should be handed to them quickly. That they should be able to have their needs met quickly. And discipleship is a, if you haven't heard this before, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It takes time to be developed, to be trained, to be used. It, you have the highest calling. If God's called you into ministry, it's the highest calling. And you should go to school and you should serve and you should see how you can help your pastor. But it, it takes work. It takes work. Believing you're ready for something before God knows that you're not. A lot of times that's a mark of immaturity as well. Maturing might mean giving up a toy or a hobby or taste and preferences or a relationship. Not your marriage. Not your marriage, right? I'll tell you, get away from unhealthy relationships. Not your marriage. You come talk to your pastor when that's the problem. We might just have to give up our own agendas and say, God, what would you have me to do? Many today refuse to mature because deep down they are timid or afraid towards the plans that God has for them. If they can stay cynical, if they can, say, if they can stay in a place where they're kind of self-degrading, they can act as if, if what God wants them to do is just something that's not for them. He has a high calling on everyone's life, and it's going to look different. But he wants to know that you're all in, and he wants to see you mature spiritually. It can be, it, it's a scary place sometimes the plans that God has for you. But that's why he has to lead us through these times of training. I'm trying to hit everybody in here. I think I'm at like 84%. So I think about, a six, about 15, 16% of you are still left. So let me get in on this one. Spiritual maturity is not necessarily marked by biblical knowledge or spiritual experience. In fact, a good measuring stick for spiritual maturity could be understood by the gap between your knowledge of the Bible and your application of the Bible. The more you know and the less you do, the bigger gap there is. It, it shows that you should have a higher understanding, and that understanding should be shown by how you're applying. A good friend of mine described that in one of uh, the fastest-growing churches in the world, that they read the Bible, 
They read until they receive revelation about something they need to do or change. And then they don't read anymore until they've carried out what scripture told them to do. Right? You just heard the pastor tell you to read your Bible less, right? That's your take home for today. The pastor said I'm reading the Bible too much. It is if you're reading it and nothing's changing. It really is. It, we don't want you to just memorize the book. We don't want you just to be able to quote. Do you recognize that the people that Jesus came and spoke against the most had the Bible memorized? Had it memorized. But they weren't doing anything with it. So it actually marked them as more spiritually immature than any maturity at all. Spiritual maturity is marked by one who is not just a hearer of the word, but a doer. God takes us, we kind of wrap this, wrap this up and talk about what we do with each one of these. God takes us the long way around to expose our fear, to express his authority, and to encourage our maturity. That first thought of fear, would you just, not out loud, just between you and the Holy Spirit, what are you afraid of today? What are you really afraid of? It's not spiders and clowns and carbs anymore. Is it failure? Do you think, do you think you're going to make a failure? You're going to embarrass yourself in front of other people? Is it embarrassment? Is that people will think that you're not qualified to do what it is that God has planned for you? Is it finances? Do you think maybe making that shift in life where God's called you to a different job or career, maybe into full-time ministry and not knowing how he's going to make a way? Maybe it's security. That could go along with finances or anything else. Maybe moving to some place that's uncomfortable. Is it health? Is it loneliness? Name that fear and recognize that God does not give a spirit of fear. So whatever it is that you're receiving is a spirit that comes from the enemy. It's a spirit that comes from the enemy. We must name it and ask God to give us peace in that area. He's waiting for us to face and overcome personal fears so that he can do a divine work in you. When we consider his authority, take this test with me real quick. I put three, but I'd probably take one from you. What area, what area of life do you have the most control of right now? Or do you think, right? We talked about that. Or have you led yourself to believe? This goes with manager titles, ministry leader titles, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, has to do with finances, health. What area are you currently holding on to control of? What if you release that and gave God full authority in your life? Maturity. Maturity. We've overcome our fears. We've, we relinquish control to God. One of my professors and mentors, mentors used to talk about spiritually profa- uh, protract, protracted infancy. Spiritually protracted infancy. I'll unwrap that for you real quick. When a child or a human being in general ceases to develop at a certain rate physically or mentally, we use words like disorder, disability, or syndrome. In the church, we use words like board member, elder, or deacon, right? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding, kind of. But he said, but, 
but he said, we have too many Christians living spiritual lives of protracted infancy where we get to a point where we just keep living the same year of our spirituality over and over again, maybe even hoping to freeze a good year or moment in time. But considering today's story, we would just have to associate that with spiritual wandering that ultimately ends up where? In the desert. In the desert. But the promised land is where we want to live. I, I still, I was talking to Pastor Deb before the service, and I, we don't have time to preach it this morning, but I still just can't get over the fact that, and as a Christian, I hope, I hope you understand that as you read the scriptures at different places in your life, at a different age, and different seasons, that as you do that, the Bible's going to speak to us in different ways. And I'm getting ready to turn 40, and that means a year from now, I wouldn't have got into the promised land at 41. I wouldn't have got in. I, I mean, if they, if, if they were that technical about it. But only those who were under 40 got to keep, keep going. And, and I'm not trying to tell you, I'm not trying to put everybody into a box this morning and say, well, if you're 40 to 80, you failed or you've wondered or anything like that. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. The story's there to show us, though, what God is and isn't concerned with. Those who received the things of God in the desert, those who were moved forward, who was able to receive them? Those who were like a child, that, those who had the spirit or the mind of a child. In Christ, all things are made new, and, and he can use us at any age and in any season. But the promised land is where we want to live. And if we're not careful, we can take, God could have, you realize if they would have been ready, they had been in Egypt for 400 and some years, right? If they had been ready, it could have been an 11-day journey. Isn't it painful to think about the fact that God wants to do something in your life that might only take a couple of weeks to develop, but he takes us, it takes us 40 years to get it? Even so come, right? Even so come. I've learned a lot of lessons that have taken me longer than they should have, but in his grace, in his grace so free that just pours out over us, right? In his grace, he continues to want to use us. I'm going to invite Colton to come, um, and, they, and they're just going to to play a couple minutes of that song that we did, Build My Life. And whatever reason you feel like God might still have you in the desert, and you know, life's not just a Bible story. It's not like you go through 40 years, then you're in the promised land and you're done. It's there to teach us about seasons. It's there to teach us about uh, different challenges that we might face that kind of come back over and over again. And here's, here's the story of the sand. There's nothing fancy about this sand. Um, it's just a little bit out of the bag that I bought to put in the back of our basketball hoop. But... Um, there was a young pastor in, in seminary, and he was, you know, he was ambitious. And, and he, while he was going through seminary, he got inspired by, by so much that he believed God wanted him to do in his life. And him and his friend used to go around and put up flyers saying that they would preach for, for churches and do revivals and, and they wanted to do everything they could to help out in these churches and run youth rallies and just all kinds of things and their professor saw what they were doing, one of their theology pa uh, professors and one day he brought both of them in uh, a jar of sand, I know this isn't a jar but this was the best thing I thought where you could see, see through it right and uh, he brought him a jar of sand, and he said, I've got a particular assignment for you two. And they were so excited because they were known as the guys that went out and were doing ministry all the time. And he said, I want you to carry this around with you wherever you are going, whatever you're doing. And remember that there's desert seasons where God's trying to teach us something. 
And he was saying, you're in seminary right now, and there's going to be an opportunity to do something, and, and, and you're going to, but he said, God wants to teach you some lessons right now. And it's okay if you're not tearing down Jericho walls right now. It's okay if you're not a pastor, if you're not a teacher, if you're not doing everything in the church. There's times of, of learning to be developed. And, and some, of us, some of us struggle with that. I'd say a lot of us struggle with that. Again, again, we're in a, we're the church, when you talk about counterculture right now, But they did, and they did it for a while, and they got kind of annoyed because they'd forget it and leave behind, and their teacher would make them go home and get it. And they, they finally got said, we're learning right now. God's trying to develop us. And probably some points like the ones we shared today came to their mind. God's trying to teach me to be more mature. Right? Did you know every 20-year-old pastor knows everything? I know I did. But if you're 80 today, God's still teaching you if you want to learn. He's still maturing you if you want to mature. That's, what's, that's what the beauty is about all this stuff breaking down, right? Is he's still working in our spirit and still wants to develop us. But that pastor took him seriously. And you know what ended up happening? He missed out on so many opportunities that he could have had. Preaching in little churches and being a youth pastor and all those kind of things, right? And, and God never used him. No. He grew up to be one of the youngest general superintendents in the United States of America. Because God only needs 11 days. The 40 years was up to them. Does that make sense this morning? I, sometimes I struggle to know whether or not we're connecting. We, we get in such a hurry when in a moment, God can flip the script. But we have to be willing while he's trying to do a work in us to not get in a hurry. We have to be willing to carry around that jar of sand and say, God, whatever it is that you want me to learn right now, let me see it. Man, go home and study the desert today. And if you want to do it with an optimistic attitude, you can see the way that God moved in them. And I'll give, I was going to give this to you after they sang, but I'll give it to you right now because it's right there in the text. And I feel compelled to just give it to you right now. Just a few verses later in Exodus 13, verse 21, it says, I don't know how, how great of a pitch I made for living in the sand, but by day, this is in the desert right? You're, you're not in ministry. You can't figure out what's next. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. When we talk about the depressing times that they had in the desert, when we too often get focused on the destination, we could be in danger of missing the cloud or the pillar of fire that is right in front of us. How horrible would it be if we were so focused on what tomorrow brings that we miss the fact that we can dwell in the presence of God in this very moment. Dwelling in his spirit will lead us to put our trust in his mercy. We can venture out because we have a father who loves us, cares for us, and will not let us perish. And I think I've already said it here, but God's not going to lead you anywhere until he knows you're happy with him everywhere. I don't know if you're going into a desert season, you're in one, you're coming out of one, you're probably one of those three all the time, right? But man, if you're in the desert today, say, God, what do you want to teach me? What are you preparing me for? 
They still knew the promised land was on the other side. They didn't know how far. They didn't even know how they had to get ready. Can you imagine how annoyed those trumpet players had to be getting up and practicing their trumpets every day in the middle of the desert? It's not recorded there, but it had to be happening, right? Man, I'm excited to see where we're going as a church and and where we're headed when we get to the promised land. But I'm going to ask you to stand and just respond accordingly this morning. You can can always come and pray or, or just worship as we talk about building our lives around him. He alone is worthy. What is the work that he's doing in you right now? Is there a place that you need to relinquish control? Is there a place where you've marked yourself as mature that God wants to develop you more? Are there fears that are just keeping you from stepping into the place that God wants to use you? Father, we pray that we would be obedient during these next few moments as we respond and worship. In Jesus' name, amen. thought this morning, if you don't know where he's taking you or leading you, he's always leading you to love those around you. Take that with you. Hopefully something that came from the word from the message today was something that you can take home and apply, not just something that maybe was neat to hear, kind of fun, but instead something that you're going to take and use to think about how God is doing something in your life, wants to lead you to something, something new. I pray for you, for those of you who are in the desert right now and feel like there's no hope. The desert's definitely a place where hopelessness can can creep its way in. Um, But all it takes is looking up and seeing that cloud, seeing that pillar of fire and knowing that God is with us. God is with us. All right, well, we're going to say goodbye. We'll let you have a seat here in the house. We're going to say goodbye to our friends online. Again, we hope that you'll join us soon in person. Come and check out the wrap-up of our series next week uh, here in-house at 1030. 
on Rathmel Road. Um, we're going to invite our ushers to come forward, and we're going to come to you for this morning's tithes and offerings. Uh, if you're not a cash or check carrier, there's uh, pretty easy instructions in your bulletin or on the website for how you can give electronically. So good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. I'm going to pray over our offering, and then uh, we'll look forward to being with you again, not just uh, next Sunday, but throughout all the activities that we have here at the church this week. Father, we thank you this morning uh, that you have been so good to us, that you have poured out so many blessings on us. Um, and Lord, so now as, as we think about the praise and the thanks we have for these things, help us to give a, a, a return, Lord, an appropriate return um, back to you uh, in offering and praise so that we can continue to live in a place of blessing. Lord, we pray that the money that is given today, that you would not only use it and, and multiply it for the work of your kingdom at Cap City, but that you would also be with this leadership team as we discern how to always uh, use those resources in a most uh, stewarding way. And we ask